On today's episode, PHT Injury Chat Insights. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. Welcome back, PHT Rehabbers. I have um, a few announcements. Uh, The first one is I have now become the owner of the Facebook group, the Proximal Hamstring Tendinopathy and Avulsion Facebook group, which I know how uh, some of you feel about Facebook groups. And I do jump on injury chats with a lot of you and the frustration, fear, negativity, a lot of those emotions that get stirred up with in those Facebook groups and totally get it, totally understand. Um, my The previous owner... Victoria, who has done an amazing job with the group, has retired and uh, asked me if I wanted to start managing the group. And I thought, fantastic, because um, it's an avenue for me to get the word out there, particularly about the podcast and other resources that we're working on with PHT. So what a better time than to find the biggest Facebook group in the world when it comes to PHT and start posting some of the podcast resources on there. Um, But, you know, do recognize that there is a lot of people, negative people, no, people posting uh, things that can be quite detrimental to your recovery. And as I explained to people on injury chats, just so you know, like when things are going really well, you don't post. People aren't compelled to share their insights, aren't compared to share their successes, when things go well, they drop off from the Facebook groups. When there are flare-ups, when there are when you're misguided, when you're looking for answers, when you're in pain, that's when you're more compelled to post. And that post is usually a lot of, I'm in a lot of pain, I need answers, help me. I have had pain for this long, the pain is this severe, I now can't do this, someone help me. And just so you know, that is a natural thing that humans do. And when you scroll down the Facebook feed in the Facebook groups, this is a biased, skewed um, page of, you know, just people at their worst because this is the, they're the ones who are more compelled to post and check and comment and all those sorts of things. When things go well, you know, we don't even forget about the Facebook groups anymore. So just bear that in mind. Um, my attempt to try and, you know, turn things around, probably start some positivity like I do with this podcast and hopefully uh, point people in the right direction and just help more people with PHT, which is what it's all about. Um, might make some a slight tweaks here and there to the Facebook group. I haven't really thought about that yet. At the time of recording, I they we just handed over the keys uh, yesterday. So um, I'll keep you posted on those sorts of things. But Proximal Hamstring Tendinopathy and Avulsion is the name of the Facebook group. I might change the name. I don't know. Um, but that's where we stand. 
Um, the other announcement is this new format. Uh, let me know what you think of this particular episode because, as I've mentioned already, I do jump on into chats with a lot of you, and some of you tick the checkbox to say, you know, it's okay if you record this and repurpose it for other other means. And yeah, I like to think that we can all learn from injury chats. These are people with PhD. You might've jumped on a call with me yourself uh, where they're just looking for a bit more answers and looking for a bit more guidance, understanding about PhD and those sorts of things. And I think we can all learn from it, particularly um, the circumstances that they're in, the advice that I might give, and then the back and forth that we usually have sometimes helps you in your circumstances when it comes to understanding PhD and maybe explained in a different way or the advice that's given uh, might help you rethink what you're currently doing to enhance your recovery. So uh, I have two injury chats I'd like to put on there now and I might chime in here and there with a bit of um, thoughts as we go through the call, but let's dive in. Okay, so I have quite an urgent email coming in from Sarah. Sarah says, I'm doing the London Marathon in four weeks. I have PHT, which is proximal hamstring tendinopathy. It was a mild ache before Tuesday. I've had this possibly for three years and she uses the slap, slap the forehead emoji. (laughs) So she's had this for three years. Um, A lot of the time I haven't noticed it. However, I did a 15 mile run on Tuesday and now I can't turn off that pain. It is constant I was supposed to do a couple of runs as I've uh, just been having time off and I couldn't even run today. I couldn't even run if I tried. I also woke up overnight and really don't want to withdraw, defer my race, dot, 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 if possible, dot, dot. (laughs) So we have a a flare-up of PHT. We have a race to prepare for and let's try our best to get this under control. Yeah, so I, I listened to your podcast and I've, I've obviously got the marathon in four weeks and I know you're not a magician, but I'm, it's, no. it's just advice that I'm really looking for. Um, I, I'm going to say that it was probably three years ago that I noticed that I'd had um, pain right at the top of my hamstring. Um, and it's funny because I'm a personal trainer, but you don't get to learn these things. It's just, it's not something that's sort of standard knowledge. And even with things like stretching it, you think it's the obvious. Um, but so, so, but it was always, you know, really mild background, maybe, you know, score of a one or two, not really even up on the three, four. So it never really bothered me enough to um, stop me running. Anyway, I did London in October and I did get a good for age. I got, I did three forty-five, um, and I, well done. you know, it didn't bother me at all actually, really, for that. But it's, it's, it flares up very occasionally, maybe up to about three. Um, anyway, we've just been in France, and I had a week off. January, February, March for me is a crazy busy month, so it's very different from when I did London in October. I have just had so much work. It's been, you know, just spin classes and people, you know, other classes that I train. I do a lot of um, Pilates as well, which I think is one of my aggravating factors. I teach pump as well, you know, like body pump. Okay. But I, I do it slightly differently. I do it the same, similar format, but with dumbbells. Um, so it's lots of reps. So I think this is also a bit of a, a, bit, a bit of a thing that's um, a bit of an issue. So 
different in October this time. So we've just been in France for a week and I was planning to do um, some long runs. So I did on the Tuesday, I did a 15 mile run. And the next day I, I couldn't sit down. I it woke me up at night. I mean, at six, you know, if not more. I mean, it was really, really bothering me. We went out for dinner that night. You know, I, I, every time I got up off the seat, it was in, you know, really bad pain. Anyway, I've li been listening to your podcast and I'd, I'd really, you know, seen Don't Stretch. And funnily enough, I, I think on the Wednesday, I was actually teaching an online, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, I was doing a Pilates class. So I just avoided any hamstring stretches. I I did ice it. And I know there's this big debate about ice. Um, and I actually saw a pharmacist there. He gave me figwort, which I took twice. Um, and I do, I do take an anti-inflammatory because I actually have three issues with my back. I have axial spondylarthritis. I have a herniated disc, which I have had um, eight injections in my back over the years. And I also have retrolithesis. So they, they don't really bother me. You know, it's, it's not something that stops me running. Um, but so I have a, a low dose anti-inflammatory, which I can take, which um, I did. Um, anyway, day later, um, it it was better, you know, sort of like down to about a three. The next day I did run and I did 15 miles and it hasn't massively flared up again. You did another 15 miles. I did another 15 miles, but I kept it very much zone two. I mean, when I say, you know, it was the bottom end of my heart rate of zone two. Yeah. Um, and it didn't really bother it. Um, I, it's, it's not gone back up above a, a, a three. Um, I think I did everything in those two days. It, because I was on holiday, I could sleep. I rested it. I put my feet up. I didn't stretch it. You know, I didn't didn't sit. I just did everything that I possibly could. My dilemma is I'm back to work this week, and I teach like Pilates twice today. I teach um, the equivalent of like a, a pump, um, but it's you know it's lots of reps. So it's squats, it's lunges, it's lots of deadlifts. So what I did last night because I taught like a conditioning last night is I I did some deadlifts. And I, they're, they're slow anyway, so it's like four down, four up. But, you know, because I have to do clean and presses with it, um, I, I only picked up 16 kilos. So eight each, each, each side, and it was with dumbbells, and it was both feet on the ground. So it's, it's really, it's, it's how am I going to get through the next four weeks? Because the next two weeks I was planning to do, and I know it's not the traditional training plan, but I was going to do a 20 this weekend, and I was going to do a, an 18 the following weekend. And I know normally people go back to 13, but I was going to try and do a, just because I've put myself in for something. Okay, this is a tricky one. So we have a flare up, but at the same time we have a race to prepare for. It seems that the slow running is okay. Seems like she can tolerate that. So um, we'll keep that in the back of our minds. But we also need to address her work, which is like aggravating factors, taking classes and all those sorts of things. That seems to be almost more of an aggravating factor than the running itself. So it's time to get into damage control mode. Uh, and I do have a few ideas. Do you have a notepad? Pen and paper, or are you typing this? Because I got some advice. Yeah, for you. I, I've got. Uh, I'm writing it. 
Okay. Um, yes, you're right. Don't overstretch. I think if you avoid overstretching, then that's going to at least settle it down and avoid some irritation. The other thing is modifying your sitting. So if you find that sitting for long periods of time causes irritation, you can change the surface or you can do a sit-stand strategy. So sit with a cushion or raise yourself up into a higher seated position so that your knees aren't above your hips. Um, and, you know, you can modify that. I think you're on a, a Swiss ball. I can see from the bouncing. Yeah. You're probably on that. Yeah. Okay. Can help, but a sit-stand strategy, like, you know, 30 minutes of sitting, 15 minutes of standing on and off can help that irritation. So, so generally um, with my job, I hardly ever sit. I mean, I'm on my feet all day, but I do teach spin. Okay. Yeah. So what if you are what would you suggest for that? I mean I could I'll, teach it off the bike if it was re- if you if you thought do you know what that's just going to be a a risk factor. Teaching off the bike is safer, but also if you have to get on the bike, um standing up on the pedals, not sitting down, standing up on the pedals yeah. is the best the better way to go about okay. it. Um if you have to do classes that involve like lunges, squats, deadlifts, all those sorts of things, uh, you would reduce the range of movement. So, you know, maybe when you demonstrate, you might want to do full range of movement just once or twice to demonstrate the exercise. But if you have to do 18, 20 reps, reducing the range of movement to like half range is going to significantly reduce the strain on the tendon, especially for lunges, especially for squats, especially for deadlifts. Okay. And, and does it matter um, that, that it's, I mean, it's only 16 kilos or do you think I should try and put on a bit more than that? If you wanted to do it with higher reps, no, no. I wouldn't. If you wanted to do some slow, heavy stuff, um, you would do like, if you want to do the slow stuff, you can go heavier, but it'd have to be like, you know, your eight rep range yeah. rather than 15 up to 20 but the fact that i'm doing so much other stuff i mean I, I did think about whether i should put in some heavy stuff but actually because i've got these other ones that i've got to do is that not then going to exacerbate you know, should i just it leave could, it yeah. for a couple yeah. of weeks i mean on the taper I, i've cancelled you know i've got cover for my classes so it's really i've got a two week where i'm trying to peak you know as much as i can now um where you know I'm, I'm trying to still train, but, you know, the two weeks of taper, I'm going to reduce it massively anyway, and I've got a bit, bit more, uh, you know, but I can't do that for four weeks. Yeah. I would say if you can not, like, if you attend classes or you're taking classes that involves, like, pump and moving around, that's just adding on to the risk right. of, you know, your recovery. If you didn't do all those things and you just had time to yourself, I would do the slow, heavy stuff rather than the the weights because tendons can have an analgesic effect, which if you do slow, heavy loading, then it makes you feel better. Like you feel like you have more strength, more power, less pain. And so you can use that to your advantage in these next couple of weeks. You can do that with isometrics. So like a long lever glute bridge hold, you can do that periodically throughout the day like two three times well, a day i teach pilates a lot so I, i've been they're in there <laughs> so they're i you know i'm doing yep. a lot of those in but, but this is the other thing is i'm doing a lot so you know it's trying to reduce what i'm doing because you know doing them every so often is one thing but when i'm trying to teach a class where i've got 40 minutes of you know or an hour of doing you know 
yeah. stuff that is involving hamstring lengthening. And I'm trying not to put it in as, at all, but so I'm putting a few bridges in, but you know, nobody's now getting any stretches or I'm just, if I, if I have to demonstrate it, I'm even doing it with a bent leg and just explaining that I'm just not lengthening it. Thought I'd chime back in here uh, just to mention um, or discuss with Sarah the pros and cons. It's probably a good time to bring this up because when there is a race to prepare for, there's no right or wrong. There's no, should I run? Should I not run? It's all about just weighing up risks, rewards, pros and cons, um, particularly with her work. If her work is aggravating these factors, you know, most people have to work, but some people have the luxury of, you know, saying they can take some time off work. So I thought I'd bring up that conversation. Yeah. Well, this is just potentially the risk you're taking on. Like if you're attending, if you're teaching these classes, um, again, like you, you have to do what you have to do. You have to do what's in the class. If, if I were you, if you want to give yourself your, the best chance to succeed at this race, then it would be to not do those classes and focus on yourself, focus on the right strength stuff that you should be doing. But, you know, we're human. We have, sometimes we have to sit down. Sometimes we have to drive. Sometimes we have to attend and take classes that, um, you know, if you decide to do that, that's fine. But it just adds in a bit more complexity. Right. Like you say, it adds in a little bit more accumulative load throughout the week that we need to sort of factor in. Yeah. And so maybe isometrics aren't the option for you because like you say, you've got so much else going on. These are the things you have to weigh yeah. up the risks versus rewards and, you know, make a decision. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, that's yeah, I'm, I'm always worried about. And the other thing that I was worried I bought some compression shorts. Um, I haven't, I haven't actually run in them, but I actually bought them when I was away. Um, and because of the fact that obviously I don't want to do anything new, I was going to try them this weekend. Would you run in compression shorts with it? No. No, I don't. I don't think it'd have much benefit. No. Okay. But, but anything yeah. detrimental? No, I don't think so. Right. Okay. So nothing either way. No. So we've got the the stretching, we've got the sitting, we've got the the range of movement with your exercises. Um, We've got your isometrics or the slow heavy loading. You can definitely weave that in if you have time and if you're not overloading the tendon. So maybe on a day where you're not taking classes and those sort of things, I would definitely sort of integrate that in. Um, But on times where you are taking classes, modify the stretches, modify the exercises, reduce the range of movement. It's going to help at least settle down like um, what could potentially be another sort of aggravating factor. We're sort of calming it down as much as possible. What about massage? Um, I've got some advice. Uh, Massage can be nice at settling symptoms but won't do anything to heal the tendon. Okay, I just wanted to to aggravate it. It can if you aggravate, well, Massage can aggravate if you stimulate the high hamstring area. Like if they're digging into your sitting bones and they're really trying to release trigger points and sort of get in really brutal through the irritated area, yes, definitely will flare it up. But some people have calming massage around the glutes and around the hamstring belly and avoid the sitting bone irritation and they can, you know, that's okay. feel better afterwards. Right, Okay. Yeah, she, I mean, normally yeah. the girl I see, she's quite deep, and I, I would try and sort of probably say to her, don't go deep into the area yeah. for the moment. Just avoid the area. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Hmm. 
I'm just hoping I can get through the next two weeks without, <laughs> you know, with it, and just being able to do the long runs. That's my main concern is not, not aggravating it. So, uh, you know, teaching the classes, it's trying to pull back as much as possible of those ones and not doing anything. So I'm just, I'm just not going to stretch and, you know, not going to uh, do too many lunges, too many on partial range. Okay, so now Sarah hopefully has some clear instructions to go away with uh, in particularly the areas that are aggravating the symptoms the most so that hopefully, fingers crossed, things start to settle down. Um, then she can attend like her slow runs. Hopefully it doesn't get irritated with her slow runs. But as we're wrapping things up, I thought I might reinforce a lot of the things to do with running because we haven't necessarily talked about the running elements yet. So I thought I'd dive into that. Yeah. Advice with your running, I would say 100% you're avoiding all kind of speed work. So even if it's just running a little bit faster than usual, you are going to keep all of your running to like zone two, really easy running for the next couple of weeks. Right. Okay. So, so, so no, nothing speed work at all. Yeah, that's fair enough. No. I mean, I think that's one that no. on, the, on the Tuesday I was doing some tempo. So it was, I think that's what, what really triggered it. And it's, it was very hard. You know, the road was, you know, there was a, a hill. There was, you know, it was all of that sort of stuff. So, that's my next point. And, and I just <laughs> you're jumping in front of me. <laughs> two, two. I've done an ultra. I've done actually. I've done part of an ultra, which was in um, the um, hills round here um, near Guildford, Box Hill, Leith Hill, and then I did a the, the Leith Hill uh, half, which was uphill. Yep. So I think those yep. two things started it. Yes. Well, that's my advice. Avoid speed work from, from now on. Avoid hills. Avoid, especially running uphill, it's going to compress the tendon and put more strain on the hamstring. So um, I'm not saying avoid this altogether. I'm saying in the weeks. weeks leading up to this marathon, yeah. you're going to have to reduce that just so otherwise the tendon's not going to settle. Yeah, yeah. And so those are the, the variables you want to change when it comes to your running segments. Yeah, and there's nothing. There's, there's nothing else, sort of uh, positioning wise. I mean, you know, it's, it's too late in the day anyway to sort of. Uh, I mean, I, I do look at all my running form, and uh, you know, generally it feels like it's okay. But you know, there's nothing else that you suggest that I do. I mean, it's, it's, what's your running cadence? Uh, well, this was the thing. So on um, Tuesday. I I wonder whether I was overstriding a bit. Um, I think it was a bit lower. I think I was running at about because I was running with music. I was running at about hundred and seventy six. Whereas that'd be fine. Whereas then on the on the uh, Friday, I then put in some hundred and eighties. Okay. Yeah. They're they're both within the realm of like acceptable. Um, as long as you keep slow and as long as your cadence is high, yeah. you're giving yourself the best chance for things to settle down. Yeah, I mean, I definitely try and try and run at a high cadence. I mean, I try and keep it within that sort of – but I try to up it on the, the following – on the, the Friday just because I was feeling like I could run a bit taller. Okay, yeah. And it wasn't um, Not too much difference between – 176 and 180, yeah. it's like kind of, they're both in the high range, so it shouldn't have too much of a, a difference. Okay. Well, I think that's, 
you know, it's, it's given me some things that I, you know, it's all the stuff that you say in your podcast, but it was just, it was good to be able to just discuss some of the, my, my class stuff with you. So thank you yeah. for that. That yeah. was interesting. I mean, if it wasn't for your podcast, I just would not have known. I mean, it's, you know, you learn lots of stuff when you're, um, you know, do your personal training, but unless you, I mean, in a way, because I've had issues with my back, sometimes having these things in a bizarre sort of way, they're actually quite good. So I then pass it on to other people. You know, if you have have an injury, you can really relate to somebody and you can then see things in a different way. You can read things in textbooks, but they don't give you everything. You know, when you when you learn stuff as a, as a personal trainer, it doesn't cover every single injury. It doesn't cover every single condition. So, you know, in a... In a bizarre way it's actually quite good to have them I don't want it and I definitely don't want it to ruin the uh, the marathon but it's given me a different understanding yeah well uh with these tips hopefully it can help settle things down and um hopefully you have my fingers across for you thank you <laughs> hopefully these next couple of weeks go well brilliant thank you I really appreciate your time next up we have an email coming in from Caspian and he says thanks for doing all what you do love the podcast I am diagnosed with high hamstring tendinopathy for roughly five months, but I think I've probably had it for about 10 months. I mostly, I most likely developed it doing heavy lunges, squats, deadlifts in the gym, and have not been able to do these movements heavy for a while. I'm not a runner, so my goal is to return to heavy lifting. Sitting is surprisingly, sitting has not surprisingly been a problem after the first month of this injury. I have tried to rehab by reducing volume and intensity, but I've encountered a few flare-ups along the way, and I have some questions regarding that in my training. Thanks again for your time. So I jumped on a call with Caspian, and this is what resulted. You said that you've tried some rehab, tried a few things in your rehab, but not seeing much progress. I guess it's kind of working. It's like really slow. Okay. But it's like a couple of dips here and there. Um, yeah. Now I had like two months where I was kind of like uh, conservative with the training. Yeah. And there were like no flare-ups until like a week ago when I got a bit of COVID as well. So I was a bit like okay. below my baseline, I guess. I was like a bit down and I still like tried to increase according to the plan. Yeah. So did you catch COVID and then had the flare-up or was it the other way around? It was, uh, yeah, I had COVID and then had a flare-up, yeah. Okay. Was there any other changes in your training or anything like that that might have... Well, I put on like five pounds, but I had done that like every week for two months and it was fine. Okay. Uh, And I did like front squats, uh, deadlifts and leg curls that day. Okay. Yeah. And a bit like dragon flies for the abs, but I don't think that did anything. No. So you're doing front squats and deadlifts yes what was the other one that you mentioned uh, leg curls seated okay seated yeah what else is in your repertoire i do legs now twice a week i haven't done it for like a week now because i've been like pretty sick yeah uh, but i do one day i do romanian deadlifts uh bulgarian split squats if you know what that is yeah um yeah. and yeah front squats that's one one day and the other day is also front squats, deadlifts, and leg curls, yeah. Do they have a prone hamstring curl machine, or they only have the seated one? They have a prone one as well. I just like okay. the seated one better. And so you're sticking to a regiment of five 
increasing five pounds every two weeks. Uh, or every week. I've done it like every week, yep. but I probably shouldn't do it too, like once every two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Well, it depends. It depends on symptoms. Um, yeah, yeah. I usually say, you know, you can decide to progress based on if symptoms fall within acceptable limits. Yeah. Um, if you're able the to. The weird thing is now, uh, I guess this is kind of common with tender injuries, but I have like no pain at all doing the exercises. Okay. Yeah. Uh, except like sometimes on the Bulgarian split squats, like a one or out of 10 maybe. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like afterwards, it has been like sometimes a little bit of flare up. Okay. Mostly with the conventional deadlifts though. Okay. Um, yeah. And when you do the deadlifts, what would be like a typical reaction? Like how severe do symptoms get and how long does it last for? Yeah. Like I would still, I would still say I'm pretty fortunate because after like the first couple of months of this injury, I had no pain with sitting at all, uh, not even for like hours. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So even now, even now when it's flared up, it's not painful to sit or anything like that. Okay. Uh, and I can even do like glute bridges and stuff like that. No pain at all. Yeah. Um, and all of that. But uh, after deadlift, it's like four or five out of pain. Okay, four so, or like five when it's flared out of up. ten. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay. I mean, that's kind of arbitrary, but yeah, that's yeah. Like what I imagine. How long yeah. after the deadlifts does it elevate to that four or five? <clears throat> maybe like, it takes like a day to seem to set in, but like one. Then they like the pain that now this last flare up, it was like only painful when I started exercising again. Okay. Um, so it was like no pain at rest, no pain sitting. It was just when I did like lunches and stuff like that, because that's like how I trigger symptoms after to see if it's like flared up. Yeah. Because it's not as severe as many other cases, I guess. Yeah. So uh, when I do like a bodyweight lunch, I always feel like, oh, like it's there again, you know? Yeah. A bit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like a four or, four or five, yeah. Okay, but the four or five it won't be every time, will it? It seems to me like no, you're saying no. it's quite occasional that it does flare up to that level. Exactly, exactly. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay, I wanted to dive into the particulars, including like the symptom reaction and exercises and eventually start giving out some advice, but there's been one little theme um, or pattern in Caspian's flare-up that I wanted to address first before getting in the into the particulars. Also keep in mind that if you did have COVID, that um, triggers your immune system and your immune system heightens your, your pain sensitivity. So mm. if you say that your flare-up, like you only increased the deadlift by five pounds, nothing too significant, but you did experience a flare-up, my... Um, I would kind of point to at that time your nervous system or your immune system's probably like, you know, really trying to work yeah. hard to overcome a virus and therefore you sort of experience those symptoms. I know, like I haven't had PHT for, I don't know, five or six years, but I got my COVID booster shot and I had PHT symptoms for mm. 12 hours the next day. And it's just like the, like it just mm. heightens things. It, it gets things fired up. And so potentially yeah, that's yeah. what it could cause. And might be a bit more maybe reassuring that it's that that might yeah. be the underlying cause yeah like i haven't been in the gym because i've been sick hmm. 
Uh, but I have done like Bulgarian splits cost like a three by ten with like what would it be? Do you do you work in pounds or kilos? Uh we have kilos here, but I have a lot of oh, yeah, yeah, US yeah. clients and they all use pounds, yeah, yeah. so I'm fam- familiar like, with it. We're not weird with your kilos as well. Good. Uh, so I did like with eight kilos. Uh, I normally do like twenty two point five. For which exercise? But now we have uh, for Bulgarian split squats. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so now I took like eight, did three by ten, no problems. And I also did like single leg hip thrusts a couple of times when I was sick. Yeah. With like my back up there and it didn't trigger anything, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Um, with yeah. your deadlifts and all that sort of stuff, what's what's your weight at the moment? What have you built up to? Um, I built up to like pain-free. Uh, yeah. I did like deadlifts with, what was it, like 85 kg. For yep. 10 reps. Yeah. Uh, front squats, I did 40 kg for 8 reps. Uh, and leg curls, like, that's kind of different depending on the machine, obviously. Mm. But I can't, there's really no pain with leg curls at all. Um, the limit factor is more muscular than, like, pain. Yeah. Um, even when it was, like, the first week of this injury, I could still do leg curls. Okay. Uh, so... But I, I still, I think you used like four to something like that. That's plenty of information. I guess, do you have any questions for me about like uh, managing flare-ups and your, your rehab and that sort of stuff? Yeah, but what do you think about my exercise selection? Do you think it's good? I think it's good, yeah. Um, yeah usually yeah. what we want is some variation of a deadlift and you're doing two of those. Um, yeah, the, yeah. We want to do some sort of single leg stuff. I would usually do weighted step-ups or lunges but you've got the bulgarian split squats in there which is totally fine because you can tolerate that and um it will stimulate it just as much uh you've got a concentric exercise in the seated hamstring curls um you don't have an eccentric a a dedicated eccentric exercise or a hip extension exercise but um yeah i would say though like i also train a bit more like um, bodybuilding style like i do like a bit slower eccentrics yeah well that would be my That was going to be my my point. Like, you know, most of the time I work with runners and you're you're not a runner, you're a gym goer. And so that's, um, you know, your goals can be different. I think if you're doing squats, deadlifts, um, some form of a split squat or a a split lunge, then you're covering most bases. I think maybe the the frequency. um, So if you're doing, say, hamstring curls and you want to progress those, like prone hamstring curls could be a really nice exercise, but even the seated hamstring curls, if you're doing them once a week, it's probably a bit harder to progress. Um, like the the level of frequency you probably want to be two, two to three times a week sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah. But it depends. Depends if you're if you're noticing strength improvements, if you're noticing symptom improvements, and you can continue with that frequency. Um, sometimes could I do hamstring curls twice? Like, do I have to take something out? Or can I, like, add those? Um, I could, you could do it twice. I, again, like, you, you test it out. You can try it on both of those days doing the hamstring curls and then seeing how your body responds. Um, I don't think there would be too much, um, too much of an issue with adding that. And if you find that you are progressing well, then, you know, just continue in that fashion. There's other directions that you can take if you're finding that you are plateauing or you're finding that you are getting these frequent flare-ups and not really making progress yeah um and like how, how often can you have a flare-up when it's like cool acceptable like 
as long as as long as you're seeing improvements in the long term. So if you're looking oh, yeah. month by month, if last month you're in a better spot than the month before, and you're in a better spot then than the month before, then you know that you're heading in the right direction. And you know yeah, that you're, you're tolerating these things quite well. And so I'd continue doing that. We don't need to yeah. um, change things too much. But it's when people say, oh, yeah, I had one really good week, then a couple of bad days, then two really good weeks, then a bad week, then I was back to square one, yeah. then I had blah, blah, blah. And you, you just see in a yeah. six-month that, that period. That used to be what, what it was like, yeah. Okay. But then I like got a bit smarter. Uh, yeah. I listened to the podcast a bit. Great. And uh, yeah, they had like two really good months there. Okay. Uh, yeah. Where I just and slowly. Because the, the first time I didn't know what this injury was. Mm. Uh, and I was like, oh, right, let's go back to gym. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably pull a 155 kg deadlift. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was like, and it was fine. But a couple of weeks after, I was like, oh, shit, it's back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Caspian's um, doing the right exercises. So I don't think I need to spend a lot of time going through and he's got a lot of experience in the gym as well but there are a few tweaks that we can make if he's not seeing improvements week by week which i thought would be helpful there's a few suggestions though if you're not noticing improvements week by week you can change the strategies up a little bit and do like a um, a high low medium rest kind of structure where say monday monday is your heavy day where you go uh, a lot of time under tension, a lot of heavier stuff and really challenge the the hamstring. Then that's followed by Tuesday, which is like a low day, which you can do sort of body weight exercises, body weight bridges, maybe banded uh, hamstring curls with a band, like just really like, you know, still loading it up so that mm-hmm. it gets that analgesic effect, but low enough to recover. Then yeah. that's followed by like a, a moderate day where you can sort of have some weights, some exercises, maybe some um, step-ups or deadlifts at about, you know, 80, 70 or 80% of the weight that you you do on your high days and that can stimulate it mm. even more. Then you have a rest day. So rest day will come Thursday and then you just repeat that cycle. And so you are doing high, heavy stuff twice a week, but then you're also loading it up in other means throughout the week. Yeah. And sometimes I find with gym goers, sometimes that, that structure works pretty well, especially end stage rehab. So that would be like, you know, you're already lifting considerable amounts. I wouldn't really give that to someone who's starting off 10 kilos deadlifts and they struggle sitting for 10 minutes. I wouldn't assign that to them, but this is sort of like your end stage, really strong, quite stable. So, you know, that might be a structure that works for you. I did do a podcast episode about a paper that looked at gym goers and more oh. more to do with um, time under tension and the tempo kind of stuff. Do you ever focus on when you do, say, a traditional deadlift or even your RDLs, how low you're going, like how long it takes you to do the eccentric control compared to the concentric? Do you pay attention to that tempo? Uh, yeah. Like, um. I guess I, I don't like count like one, two, three, four. Yeah. But I do like try to do the eccentric like slower than the concentric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, let before, me like can... when I did, when I got this, I did like power deadlifts. Like I could lift as much as I possibly could and like just drop it, you know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
So yeah, but now they're like a bit more slow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The episode number is episode fifty-six. The title of the episode is "Slow Heavy Resistance Training: A Twenty Twenty Case Study," and um, the title, the paper that I talk about in that episode is looking at power lifters and um, how there was a a guy um, who had like failed had PHT but like failed rehab tried a whole bunch of things yeah. tried dry needling and all that didn't really get anywhere then tried a program for a couple of weeks and um within 4 weeks started to see improvements and that was just focusing on time under tension focusing on heavy stuff but really focusing on yeah. tempo and so that might be an episode you're interested yeah. in yeah i will definitely check that out all right yeah. anything else any other confusions or questions and those sorts of things like, what's the deal with sitting? Like, I've heard, like, a lot of people complain about that. And yeah. It's, like, not really a big deal anymore. Could it, like... Well, it's good. Be something related with the running stuff? Or, like... Uh, could be. Um, running does irritate. But I would say you as an individual, when it comes to your tendon, your tendon can probably tolerate a lot of compression because you do deadlifts. You do it all the time. You do front yeah, squats. Yeah. You do split squats. All of that is fostering a, a slow heavy load under compression which when you sit your tendons undergo the weight of your body so that it squashes the tendon mm. to the sitting bone so um in most cases that's fine but in the case of some people with pht they just can't tolerate that level of irritation but it seems cool. like in your unique circumstances based on how strong you are you do have the ability to tolerate sitting so that's probably yeah. why I'm loving these questions coming from Caspian. It's um, hopefully helping you out as well. And he just has one last question about loading to failure, which I thought we'd discuss and I'd include in this podcast episode. And then we have a review. Um, He emailed me six weeks after our chat and uh, we'll go through the final discussions I have with Caspian and then I'll dive into that email. Like how far from failure do you think you should should like train when you have a little bit of this? Uh, it's a good question. You'd probably want to be about two or three reps off, but it depends on symptoms. Um, you could, you could go to, you could do max deadlifts if that's a goal that you have, like you could do a three RM if, you know, if you want to focus on bodybuilding or powerlifting or, you know, just getting stronger and heavier, if that's a goal of yours, then that's fine. The tendons should be able to tolerate it. Um, and so in most circumstances, if it comes to time under tension, I like hovering around three sets of eight and, you know, like a three second down, two second up type of tempo so that by the yeah, end yeah. of that, you're sort of getting about 40 seconds of time under tension per set um, seems to work quite well. And then by the end of that set, if someone says they have two or three reps left in them in reserve, then that's a pretty good um pretty good weight and then they just rest for you know four or five minutes go again i'm pretty happy with that well yeah thanks i think that was like most of my questions here great Uh, so yeah Uh, thank you for your time okay so uh fast forward six weeks has passed and i got an email from caspian and he says hey brody i have basically no symptoms at all in the past six weeks so that's good um i followed the plan and 
um, and change the reps around a little bit so that I now do one heavy day and one medium day since you told me that variation of load sometimes is beneficial for PHT. My deadlifts is up to 100 kilograms for five reps with zero out of 10 pain. My front squats are 50 kilograms, full range of movement, five sets on the heavy day, and 37 kilograms for eight reps on the medium day. And I have zero to two out of 10 pain, but in the last two weeks that has been totally symptom-free. My Bulgarian split squats are 20 kilograms for eight reps. And again, ranges between a zero to two out of 10 pain, but in the last two weeks, pain-free. He said that he has purchased micro plates. So he's adding on weights to the barbell and the Smith machine pretty much every week, as long as I feel good. I am pretty pleased with the progress. I have had no flare-ups yet, and I don't think I'll have any unless my recovery is lacking or I get too greedy with the weights. Although if I do get a flare-up, I feel like I know how to handle it better now. Thanks for the information. Well, thank you, Caspian. Thanks for um, agreeing to record your episode. And yeah, I think this will help a lot of people if this has helped you, if you like this particular format with injury chats. Um, I'd love to do more of them. I've got plenty recorded, so just let me know. And yeah, good luck with your rehab and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power.